as a community, we've always stressed that we want to be known by our love and to love each other as we are. Beliefs and doubts in hand. And so when it comes to particular things or sometimes when it comes to really big things, the reality is, is that we can believe very differently and we can feel like we have very good reason for doing so. And so over the next few weeks, um, I'm going to do this in different modes um, as well, uh, but we want to kind of have a discussion and a conversation around digging deeper into our understanding, not so much of what we believe, not so much around the answers necessarily, but, but why and how our belief works. And the hope then is that maybe we'll be able to understand one another a little bit better, and instead of using belief and our diversity of belief as something to create divide, not that we do that as a community, but that is often what happens in faith traditions is we, we draw very clear lines on certain things that we might be able to use our understanding of one another a bit better to maybe even embrace our difference. And so the reality is, is that we all have beliefs. We all believe certain things. We can't avoid having beliefs. So whether it's spiritual beliefs, as, as someone who, who is a, a committed atheist or an agnostic or someone who holds to a particular faith, or even if it's just beliefs about the function of life, whether that's you know, how life works and the science behind it and whether you should get out of bed in the morning and why. So you know, belief is fundamental. And beliefs, in essence, uh, are very much conclusions that we make about the experiences that we have and the things that we kind of frame and think about. And so I think that to be free of belief would almost be free of life. Like that you can't actually exist without some form of belief. And so how do we arrive at our beliefs? Well, there's numbers of different ways. We can arrive at certain beliefs through inheritance. We, we can inherit beliefs from our parents and the households that we grow up in. We can in inherit beliefs from the people around us, from uh, being taught certain things and raised in certain ways. We can uh, arrive at certain beliefs through experience, our experience of the world, our experience of each other, our experience of the cultures and the societies and uh, the places that we grow up in, our, our relationships with our environment, with, with nature, with society. Um, we can arrive at certain beliefs through, through reason and revelation. So our capacity to think and explore and, and engage with thought and intellect, but also through prayer and through inspiration. And so reason and revelation can sort of form and frame and reframe our beliefs. And I think another way that we can arrive at certain beliefs is through um, a sense of belonging or a need for belonging. And, and our need for belonging is actually a very powerful driver <coughs> of belief, a, a need to be part of something, to, to feel safe, to feel secure, to feel loved. That can shape our beliefs too. And so our beliefs can be guided sort of by the collective, by the groups that we're part of, by specific communities or specific sporting teams that we cheer for or specific political parties or faith groups. And so belief is very much about how we draw meaning. It's about how we draw understanding from our lives and to kind of give us something to hold on to. And so I think that in many ways belief is actually kind of born out of lack. 
a lack of certainty, a lack of knowing, a, a lack of belonging, a lack of power or ability. <laughs> belief is, is born out of unbelief and uncertainty and unknowing. And, and this uncertainty and unknowing can be about, well, you know, who am I? Where did we come from? Where did I come from? What's, what's kind of out there? Um, you know, what, is, what does life mean? And I think that this drawing on lack that we all hold, we often, uh, we need to deal with that somehow. You know, lack exists in our lives and lack exists amidst this kind of great uncertainty. There's, there's enormous and complex challenges going on in our lives, in our communities, in our nation, in our world. And, and often when we're faced with such uncertainty, we want to hold on to something and we want to kind of put a stake in the ground and we want to create greater certainty in our lives. And so we can begin to kind of hold on to absolutes. We can create things like uh, binaries of us versus them. And what we're seeing is kind of this happening at the moment around the world, these polarised debates of us and them. And I think and it'd be really interesting to talk through this, but I think that we need to be careful that we don't necessarily um, confuse belief or faith with certainty and with dogmatism and with absolutism. Because I think in many ways, faith kind of requires lack. It requires uncertainty. It requires a sense of unknowing and unbelief. Faith actually embraces lack in our lives, whereas I think certainty can kind of try and exclude it. You know, doubt and uncertainty kind of creates room for faith. But I wonder whether there's room for faith when you're just so absolute, when, when everything is black and white, when everything is right or wrong, when, when there's no other room for another possibility, then I wonder if we even need faith in that context. Because in absolutes, there's just no mystery. And mystery requires, kind of by its nature, um, elements of uncertainty and elements of unknowing. And absolutes are very much about often defining, defining ourselves by what we're not. Uh, they're about who has the answers, who do we agree with, and kind of excluding those that we don't agree with. They're often about trying to ensure that we're on the right side and that we often use this rightness to kind of hold a power over people, to control people, to exclude people, to, to feel more powerful ourselves and kind of less lacking. Now, in saying all that, I'm not proposing, and again, it'd be great to talk about this, I'm not proposing that being certain about things is wrong. I'm not proposing that being certain about things is foolish, but there's certainly a lot of things that we can't be certain about. You know, science tells us almost a lot more about what we don't know than kind of what we do. I'm certain that I will die at some point, <coughs> but I have absolutely no idea when that will be. I'm certain that I love Lorraine and I'm certain that I love my kids, but I'm often uncertain about how and whether I do that very well. For me, faith is liberating because it, it removes the need to know and control everything. And as a Christian, I find my faith and my meaning in Christ. Jesus frames, underpins, informs, reforms, transforms 
my belief and my lack. And, and a faith community that's centered on this worldview should be about embracing people in their lack, not kind of determining who is in and who is out. And I would suggest that there's never been a better time. There's never been a better time for the ecclesia, for, for the body of Christ to fulfill its function of embracing the lost, of embracing the poor, of embracing the hurt and the oppressed and the marginalized and the least of these. And yet I wonder, and maybe I should just stay off Facebook, but I wonder how many Christians and how many faith communities are just consumed by what they're against. Just to kind of give you a bit of context of where I'm coming from, just broadly, um, I'm a child of the 80s. So I was born in 1974, I was born in the 1974 floods, and I grew up in a suburban seaside town, Redcliffe, probably know it. And my spiritual outlook and my politics were framed by uh, living in a household with pioneering pa parents. And so my parents uh, in the late 70s and early 80s did stuff that wasn't trendy at the time, but is kind of trendy now. So they grew, uh, juiced green stuff and they gardened sustain sustainably and we, owned a we were the first uh, family on the block to own a personal computer and we boycotted corporations who were supporting oppressive regimes and we kind of embraced diversity and multiculturalism, as I said, long before any of those things were fashionable. Uh, I never wore shoes anywhere ever um, until I got to high school and I was forced to. Uh, and I would often go to the mosque on Friday with my brown Muslim dad and I would be sent to church on Sunday by my white Aussie mum. And in addition to this lifestyle and this kind of interfaith upbringing and the colour of my skin, my name, which I was chatting to Jules about this, my name, Aleem, uh, was far too difficult, was far too difficult for the average Anglo-Saxon Australian to kind of wrap their heads around. And so Aleem frequently became Alan or Liam or even, uh, much to my dismay, Abdul. <laughs> Why Abdul was easier than Aleem kind of remains a mystery to me even to this day. But uh, I, I share all that to say that I was the other growing up. Uh, I was uh, an apparently harmless and kind of curious other. I worked very, very hard to fit in and I worked hard to be accepted and I worked hard to be liked and I was mostly pretty successful at that. And it wasn't until I hit university that I kind of became increasingly aware of and surrounded by people who were actually in different ways but just as kind of atypical as me. And, you know, atypical in, in their cultural backgrounds or, or their opinions or their beliefs or their genders or sexualities. And it was also around that time that I embraced faith and that I embraced Jesus and I made a decision to follow Jesus or at least uh, who I understood Jesus to be at that time. And so my understanding of Jesus was informed by kind of three things. It was informed by my reading of scripture and text. It was uh, informed by, through prayer and through reflection and revelation and inspiration. And the final frame of reference um, sort of came from the community that I was then in, the, the faith community, the church leaders around me. And, and when I first came to faith, I kind of realized that Jesus was very much other 
to me as well. He was, he was radically loving and forgiving and merciful and, and humble and authentic. And, and he demonstrated character and examples of living that uh, were profoundly challenging, profoundly challenging and very different to my own. And this otherness of Jesus essentially compelled me to grow and compelled me to change. Jesus was also other to me in kind of how much his morality and how much his appearance and how much his thinking seemed to be so much like the other Christians around me, but in a way that kind of seemed to contrast with what I understood to be Jesus' character and example. And over time, I found that Jesus started to begin to have the same list of rules and the same ideas and the same prejudices that I had too. It was kind of remarkable that they started to line up. And this kind of continued over a long period of time until the tension actually became too great, until Jesus sat in complete counterpoint to the clearly defined absolutes that I had created in and around my life. In the Gospel of John, as Jesus is preparing his disciples, both current and also future, for life without him on this earth, his central command is to love each other. Love your neighbours, love your enemies, love the least of these as yourselves and as I, Jesus, have loved you. That's kind of it, pretty much. And he says it repeatedly, like maybe it's kind of important. Dying to self, dying to our bias, loving the other is so much harder than we care to articulate and I think it's easy then to gloss over it. Our tendency, I know for myself, as human, is to make Jesus' commands much more regimented. I would much rather be right, actually. I would prefer to deal in absolutes. I think it's much more safe and it's more comfortable it's, it's easier to kind of build tribes around me of people who just confirm my bias. Us and them is very convenient. It, it, I can draw satisfactory conclusions and kind of create nice little contained and insular worlds in, in and around that. Uh, it allows me to kind of erect pillars that I can kind of then hurl down flaming rocks of certainty from. But that's not what Jesus commanded us to do. His love should compel us to love the other. And so the question that I've been asking myself and, and that I would really like us to consider in conversation tonight is, who is the other to me? Who is the other to you? Uh, reading this interesting book uh, by a guy by the name of Chuck Klosterman. Uh, it's a book called, But What If We're Wrong? And it's not specifically theological or, or looking at specifically spiritual pursuits, but he, he poses this interesting exercise that I just want to read to you and get you just to engage with briefly for a moment. He, he writes this, and it's an exercise in which we might be able to identify the other. The history of ideas tells us that there are many collections of current humans we do not currently humanize. They exist. So find them right now inside your own head. Imagine a certain kind of person or a political faction or a religious sect or a sexual orientation or a social group you have no ethical problem disliking to the point where you could safely ridicule it in public without fear of censure. 
whatever or whoever you imagined is likely the other to you. Jesus' command is to love them. And so the question that I've been asking myself is, am I moved to determine who the other is and to love them as myself? It's, it's when we begin to try and conceive that, that they could be us, that our lives begin to get messy and the comforting bubble of certainty can burst. And so my own prayer in my own life lately has been, may I burst more bubbles? Because until I can see myself in the other, then I would suggest that I cannot help but continue to form Jesus into my own image rather than being transformed by and conformed to him. That's what I believe. I'm going to pray and then we're going to, we're going to throw to conversation. Jesus, I thank you for faith. I thank you for mystery. I, I thank you for opportunities to wrestle with and grow in and through our belief. And my prayer, and I hope it's our prayer this evening, is, is may our lives be framed more by faith than by absolutes. May we be willing to abandon our addiction to certainty for your sake and for your glory. May you challenge us and stir us in this this week. And may we come to see you and embrace you in the other. Amen.